Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If this is the first time you've ever listened to an episode of this podcast, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, it's exactly what the name says. I try to bring you interviews with really interesting people who are doing cool things as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and even people who have jobs but just have that intrapreneur spirit. And today is going to be one of those days where I think you're in store for a wow. But before I get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Amplifier. Now, many of you offer physical products to your fans and your customers, and dealing with physical stuff, that can be a pain, stealing your precious time. My friends at Amplifier blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you fully control. And I know about this because I've just taken the whole try new things concept and printed a shirt, and I'm working with Amplifier to get that out there so people can order it. They can integrate your e-commerce shop and help drive your giveaway campaign. So whether you're selling your stuff or giving it away free, Amplifier is who you want to work with. They're great for giant internet powerhouses and entrepreneurs who are just starting out. On-demand means no inventory, so as you grow, you can stock up on your inventory, and then Amplifier can handle that for you as well. Go over to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So speaking of today, today's show, I have Mary Goulet, and Mary is someone who does a lot of things. I like her attitude that she has a three-legged stool to her business, and I'll let her kind of describe it, but she's in real estate, she owns some rental property, and she also has a radio show and a couple of podcasts. Uh, Mary's kind of a renaissance woman. She's doing a lot of cool stuff. So Mary Goulet, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. This is a an honor. Well, I've wanted to have you on the show for about a year, and then I saw you again recently, and I'm like, uh, I've never had you on the show, and that's not fair to the listeners of my podcast. Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> so, you know, I don't do a good job of ever, like, introducing who somebody is and what they do, so do me a favor. Tell everybody who you are and what your business is all about. Okay, so you mentioned the three-legged stool. Um, I call it that because I sell real estate, but I also own and manage two vacation rental properties here in Encinitas, San Diego. And I also am involved as being an author, podcaster, radio host, TV host, media spokesperson. So that's my third leg of my, that's all media. And I kind of put it on hold in the last, well, not completely, but somewhat on hold in the last several years. And now I'm revamping that three-legged stool, pulling that one leg down to be a solid, income stream so the three-legged stool can stand on its own. Nice, nice. So how did you get started? What did you do like right out of college? What was the early days of Mary? What was your career like back then? So when I left, uh, when I graduated from high school in Minneapolis, I moved to New York because I wanted to be a Broadway dancer. So I got there and I, my roommate worked at Fidelity on Wall Street. 
And I needed a job, a day job. So I was the receptionist. Showing, showing up and saying, hi, I'm here to dance on Broadway. Didn't just work out? Um, I'm not a night person. <laughs> that was not my, I'm more of a morning person. And I didn't like necessarily the real reality of the lifestyle. Right. So then I ended up, um, fast forward on Wall Street for nine years, became an institutional bond salesperson and worked for Dean Witter, Payne Weber, then Dean Witter. And I kind of retired from that at 26 and moved to San Diego, where um, I started getting into real estate. So what is it about the lifestyle of an entrepreneur? Because once you get into real estate, my mom was a realtor, so I know a lot about the business. Once you get into real estate, you're really an entrepreneur. I mean, even if you're working for a Keller Williams or a, or a big brand, it, you eat what you kill. So what was it that appealed to you about that lifestyle? So my father was a Century 21 franchise owner, and he was a general contractor. My brothers were carpenters, so I've always been in the industry since I was like, could walk job sites, if you will. <laughs> So I, I just love real estate. Um, and I kind of think of myself as an entrepreneur my whole life, because even on Wall Street, they would give you a draw, but you can't live on your draw. You had to make sales. You had to do commission. And the thing about that, it was very exciting to me because every day was a new day. However, it was only Monday through Friday. Now, I know you don't want to work 24 hours a day, but real estate you can get a listing one minute, you can get an offer another, or you can have a lull period. So I just like the unpredictability of it. Um, I don't like the lulls, mm -hmm. but you know, it's kind of cool. And vacation rental property is the same way. Since I have two units, they're marketed online and I can also send out newsletters. But today I just heard my, my phone go cha-ching. Twice <laughs> and that with was people, bookings. People signing up to, to, to rent the property. Yeah. Yeah. So how long have you Couple had those? Bookings. How long have you had those properties? So I have two houses on one lot, a main house and a national guest house. So I've owned the, these two for 28 years. Oh, wow. And so have they always been vacation rentals or did you rent them out originally? I mean, that's kind of a new trend, although you are in San Diego, so maybe they've always been that way. But I would think with Airbnb and all that, the, a lot of people I know who've had houses where they've tried to do year leases uh, have gone to vacation rental style. So have you always been in the, the vacation rental with it? No. So when I got the property 28 years ago, the main house was the family home, my home. Oh, okay. And then, well, I did rent out bedrooms when I was younger because I've had the house since I was 26. Oh, okay. You know, so then the back house was always a rental and just had tenants in there. And probably not until 2012, maybe 2013, I started utilizing it as a vacation rental property. But here's the thing, because I people are like, oh, I can do that with my property. Okay, you got to roll the dice because if it's a rental, the part of being an entrepreneur, it's going to be risky. And I was rolling the dice saying, okay, I'm getting my gal out. She wants out of her lease, which is fine. I'm going to become a vacation rental owner. I had to furnish the entire home from beds to spoons oh, that's and everything right. What? I hadn't thought about that. If it's a if it's a rent long term rental, they bring their own stuff. If you're the vacation rental, you have to have it decked out. Yeah, and since it's a 1940 house, 
the configuration of it is think 1940 small. So I opened up, I rolled the dice on a second part of it and I called my electrician and contractor and I opened up one wall and gave half of it to the bedroom and half to the living room. So there were more, more space on both sides, more balanced out. So here I'm doing plumbing and electrical and buying a new refrigerator and a dishwasher. And so at that point, I was totally committed <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and then how did you get into the sort of personality business, the, the radio and the TV hosting and stuff like that? When did that all sort of begin? And then you said you're restarting it. So give us a little piece of that. Okay, so we're going back further in time. Uh, 2000, so 1997, I came up with my Go With Your Gut content, and I wrote my first book on it, being pushed by Mark LeBlanc, who you probably know. Oh, I've been to Mark LeBlanc's seminars. I'm, I'm friends with yes. Mark. He's awesome. Are you familiar with Terry Langhans? I, I know Terry, not as well as I know Mark. Okay, so there's a core group of people that are Mark's Achiever Circle people mm-hmm that I would present Go With Your Gut to that group. And so Mark was always pushing me, so was Terry and just a bunch of people. And so I finally got that book out there. But then um, I had I let it sit. I had my two daughters in 1999, 2002, when Portia was six months old, my second. For Mother's Day, I went to one of Mark's seminars for the first time. And there was a gal, Roberta Shaler, sitting next to me. And I, I home birthed my children, so my speech was going to be, it's not about the bike, because that was Lance Armstrong time. <laughs> right. It's not about the pain was my title. Nice. Not about the pain. So she asked me to be on her show, and I walked into WS Radio Studios, where Steve does Reinvention Radio and Beyond Eight Figures, and I've been doing my show since 2002, I put the headphones on, spoke into the mic, elbowed her figuratively out of the way and started my own show six weeks later. (laughs) So you you felt like you came home when you did that? I was totally home because part of being a Broadway dancer, I I was a singer. So I spent years singing in clubs around San Diego. Hmm. So once I started that, then this woman, so I had a really good following. This was in 2002. People were come and listening to my show. And it was a radio, live radio, so I took callers. Then somebody found me, because my show was about being an entrepreneur, totally inter- entrepreneur. I was international. This gal called and she goes, do you want to combine it, moms and entrepreneurs? Hmm. So that set the stage. Um, I set on air, going to write a workbook for moms so they can stay home and make 500 bucks a month and take care of their kids. Two days later, I got a book deal from Hyperion, and we got it crazy. <laughs> so, so things sort of fall into place for you pretty well. I mean, going back to New York, you know, the Broadway thing didn't work out, but you fell into working on Wall Street, and it sounds like everything kind of in all the legs of your stool, uh, it sounds like you've sort of, uh, with a lot of hard work behind it, it sounds like things have sort of fallen into to place for you. Do you feel that there's sometimes for entrepreneurs, there's sometimes luck involved? Yeah, I call it the magical fairy dust. There was no reason why Hyperion Books out in New York found my teeny tiny little show. There's, you know what I mean? There's no way they didn't even, the editor did not remember how she found us. Hmm. So I think if you believe in something and you really, your whole being loves doing it, you do get sprinkled with magical fairy dust. 
I think, you know, I think so. I mean, like my, my podcast here has been something that I've done for four years and it's now starting to get more and more attention and I'm starting to get more and more referrals for my main business, which is, is speaking and training. And people are like, oh, you're so lucky. And I'm like, I don't know. I just like doing it. And I've done it for four years and I interview interesting people who then share the show with their people. So I think that, you know, you can call it luck or you can call it strategery, but I think that the combination of it, I like the, the magic fairy dust analogy with that. So you're almost, I know because I can do the math in my head, because my youngest child was born in 2002, you're getting pretty close to being an empty nester. You're only a year and a half out if, you know, if you've done the math. And my wife tries not to do the math because she doesn't want that to happen. But you're only a couple of years away from, from being you know, somewhat done with uh, the, the kids underfoot. How does that change your entrepreneurial journey? Or have you given thought to that? Well, like I've, I've been an entrepreneur their entire lives. They're used to me having a weird schedule. So when I tell them I need to go record show or I need to go show property, they're self-sufficient. So I just do that. To the nest, empty nester part, I've told my children I will follow them. My first daughter's made it easy for me and she's going to a local community college. <laughs> so she's still living with me. Okay. Sterling, that's Sterling. Porsche's probably going to head off somewhere in Southern California. So I don't know. I don't know. At least she's staying close by if she stays in Southern California. So my oldest is in Pittsburgh. So she's a thousand miles away. And uh, my youngest wants to leave Texas for college. And then both of them sort of had a dastardly plan that will all end up in the same place, but they're not sure it's where we live. So uh, we might have to follow them, even though we never told them we would. That seems to be their dastardly plan is that uh, they'll end up in San Diego and then we'll come there. Great city to live in. Well, I went to San Diego State, so I know it well. So it's uh, oh, good. Spent, That's right. I spent five years of my life there, so I know it. I know it very well. So, so you've been doing this for a long time. Are there ever times where you think I could have stayed on Wall Street? Do you do you ever miss the idea of working for a company, or does the the entrepreneurial freedom just just bubble up to the top in all all degrees for you? I am unemployable. <laughs> I have to. I call it inventing a paycheck. So. Wall Street was my version of college and an MBA. Mm -hmm. I worked right there with the top institutional traders, and I was a salesperson for amazing SNLs, banks, money managers, smart, smart people. So that was my version. Then I decided, okay, so I'm going to fill in a couple of blanks that, you know, so I came down here to San Diego from LA and my dad and my ex-husband and I quickly bought up a bunch of properties and then quickly the market started to fall. So we had to sell them and that was fine. So I had to become a realtor. Well, after that, I needed to recover from that bad market. So I became a holistic health practitioner and sang in a band. Hmm. Then the, then kicks in, I got married, had two kids and then after the Hyperion book, I got a book with um, Simon & Schuster because I was put on a talent deal with Dr. Phil. <laughs> and then it became a media spokesperson. So there was a whole good long run of doing that. But then I got, you know, with the properties and the market was good. So I thought I'm going to start selling real estate again. But then 
you know this, the creative calls you. So that's why I'm, I'm doubling down in my podcasting. I've got two more books I'm writing. So there's just stuff I'm creating a course. There's just stuff that I, with the children getting older, I have more space to sit and let that bubble up and come out. Mm-hmm. So I called you a Renaissance woman when we started this, but actually I didn't realize how true that was. I mean, when I listened to all the things that you do. So what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this show who is like, that's what I want to do. I want to get out of this box that I put myself in and create a paycheck or, you know, will it to happen and, and maybe have multiple legs to my stool. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to go create something like you've done? So if you have an inkling, it has to come from kind of your soul it has to come from inside. Creativity is not a mental process. It's an inspired process. So if you want to be a podcaster or a professional speaker, find a mentor or, or just watch that person and what they're doing and know there's a lot of hard work in there, but you can cut out some of your learning curve by asking people for advice and moving that way. And then trust yourself more than you trust anyone else. If somebody says, go do this, because other people, you're going to strike fear in them. If you're, you're willing to take a, a risk and step out of your comfort zone, the people closest to you are going to freak out. <laughs> and then they're true. going to want to stop you because they don't see the money. They don't see how fast you can ramp it up and make the money happen. So that's one. That's the second piece. And the third piece of advice, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, and you don't have something else sustaining you, which if you can during the day, keep something sustaining you financially, great. But look at any industry you want to be in and back into your numbers. Let's say you need to make 10 grand a month to pay your bills, retirement, savings, whatever it is. Let's call it 10. You need to take 10 over 30 days and figure out how much that is and what product or service can you plug in that you will be certain to make that 10 or more every month. A lot of people don't back into their numbers. They just think, oh, I'll sell this for $1,000. Well, you need to do that 10 plus times. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. I, I always tell people that's why you need to have goals because you have to reverse engineer them. If you, if you know yeah. what the goal is, you can reverse engineer and then you can tell if it's realistic or not. But going back to your first point, you know, I tell people all the time who, who want to get into my business, but it's true of any business, is I, when people want to become a speaker, my first question is, how many speaker friends do you have? And oftentimes, I'm sitting across from this person in a Starbucks. It's the first time I've ever met them. They're the, the friend of a friend's cousin. And somebody has <laughs> told them, you know, buy Tom a cup of coffee. He's a nice guy. And I'll meet them at a Starbucks. Uh, the, the trick is it has to be the Starbucks near my house. So sometimes people want me to drive an hour to meet them across Austin. And I'm like, that's so funny. You want free, <laughs> you want free consulting. We're doing this at 730 in the morning near my house. Um, and so that cuts out a lot of people who are like, well, I'm not driving that far at 730 in the morning. Meet me halfway. And I'm like, no, you, you want free consulting. You do it at my Starbucks. Because uh, I'm going to be there at 7.30 anyway. So, you know, it's fun to talk to somebody. But uh, I, they often say, well, I say, how many speaker friends do you have? And they'll often look at me and go, well, there's you. And I have to look at them and go, oh, we're not friends. We just met for coffee this morning. 
I'm talking yeah. about the type of friends where you don't have plans for Thanksgiving and they say, please come join my family. And they go, well, I don't have any speaker friends then. And I'm like, well, if you want to succeed in the business, you have to get friends who do it because when you build friendships with people who are doing what you want to do, number one, they're willing to help you once you're friends. And number two, they can't help it. Success leaves clues. If you get around three or four people who are living and working in whatever you want to do, writing, speaking, dancing, you know, uh, financial services, if you get around people who are doing it successfully – they can't help but leave little sprinkles of clues, and that's a great way to do it. So when you said that about you know finding a mentor, finding somebody, I totally resonated because that's the first piece of advice I give everybody. Yeah, you got to find your own entrepreneurial tribe and also go into it with the mindset that you're not competing with them. You're not trying to take from them. You got to be a team a little bit in that. Well, and, and I've been really involved with the National Speakers Association, and the gentleman who founded this organization 43 years ago, a guy named Cabot Robert, he was famous for a saying, saying, let's not fight over slices of the pie. Let's grow a bigger pie. Because when he, when he started, the original, I mean, there was only like 40 professional speakers in the world who were doing anything back in the 70s, and some of them didn't want to participate in an organization because they're like, ah, oh, you're my competitors. You know, you're, you're, we're slicing, we're fighting for the same business. And he was like, let's grow the business. And I've always thought that was a great analogy is don't fight over slices, bake a bigger pie. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking, cause I was going to the grocery store and I look, somebody says, Oh, get some pickles. I'm like, do you know how many rows of shelves there are of pickles, but there's probably a pickle convention and all these pickle people know each other. Yep. Yep. And I think that's true in every industry. I, I tell people, no matter what you want to do, if you're a plumber, join the National Plumbers Association because you're going to find people who are your, as you put it, who are your tribe. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So one of the things I teach people is that there is this gap between potential and results. And, and everybody thinks that potential is so meaningful. But in reality, without action and without certain things, potential is not a solution. It doesn't get us anywhere. There's a lot of people with potential who fail. So why do you think some people who start their own business and carve their own path in the world, some people get farther across that gap and find success when other people stumble? Why, why do you think some people make it? So I'm going to – I think it's because they don't consider working on their own challenges such as maybe – let's use a speaker analogy. They've never really presented in public, but they see the – possibility of being a professional speaker. It's very intriguing, but they didn't even do their icebreaker at Toastmasters. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we have to look inside. Every coach should have a coach at different intervals of their career mm -hmm. or I, I always. I, yeah, I fully agree with that. And if it's not a coach, you have to have a mastermind group. You have to have a mentor. If you don't have somebody holding you accountable, how can you hold others accountable? And also think about the psychographics of it. What is their level of confidence at home in their relationships, moving out into the world? How did they resolve conflict? What's their level of communication skills? And just some of those things, you know, ask yourself, are you a giver or a taker? I think takers can get more in the beginning and burn out because that gets known pretty quickly. Oh, I mean, that's uh, the, the, the Wharton professor. Um, his name is going to slip my mind, but who wrote the book Give and Take? Uh, Adam Grant. Adam wrote this book, and he basically has done PhD-level scientific survey on it that early on the takers get ahead. But over a lifetime, 
you know, there's some, there's always outliers. There's some takers who continue, but over a lifetime, it's the givers who develop, you know, the thing, because all opportunities come from people. And if you're a taker, people figure that out and eventually they're not going to help you. And yet the givers, they go out of their way to help people later in their career, especially when people want to do a transition in their fifties or sixties, people come out of the woodwork to help those people transfer into other careers because they've been givers wherever they were. Whereas the people who were takers, people are like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's an energy that comes along with it. And and with that energy, we've all learned, because I can see it in some people at the podcast events, we learn boundaries. We learn polite boundaries. So we still want to give, but like you said, I'm not driving an hour to meet you for coffee. <laughs> right. You got to have, gotta have a line somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So, Mary, I've got a few more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Mary Goulet. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Mary, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing these days? The coolest thing I'm doing? Um, probably my new podcast that I might be doing with Joseph Warren. Oh, that's great. He was just on the show. He was on like one or two episodes ago. He was just, I just awesome. interviewed Joseph. Tell, yeah, tell everybody great. about this project. Okay. So over the years at my Catholic parish, I've been teaching people how to pray the rosary. I did the parents and prayer ministry, senior lunch. And so people knew they would see me praying the rosary all the time. And all the older retired guys, Mayor, remind me how to pray the rosary. <laughs> So then I started creating, like buying extra rosaries, rosary rings, brown scapulars, um, Bibles, holy water bottles, and I always have them in my car and hand them out. So one day at the summit, New Media Summit, uh, Debbie Doshinger said, I'm coming out, I'm spiritual. And I don't know what possessed me. I said, I'm coming out, I'm Catholic. So then I started mulling around, well, maybe I'll do a podcast about why Catholicism is cool, especially in the day and age we're in today with all the media stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You know, Pennsylvania, Rome. Yeah. You name it. Yeah. Well, there's there's certainly a a stigma that goes around Catholicism right now because of a a lot of bad things. However, the majority of priests, the majority of Catholics, really good people, and we have to remember that. Exactly. So that's part of my cool message. So then I met Joseph Warren. He has a podcast called Broken Catholic. And we had a few conversations. And then one time I said, well, I'd love to have you on my show. Catholicism, cool. And we'll just say tagline with Joseph and with Mary and Joseph. And (laughs) (laughs) See, that made me laugh when he told me that. And it just made me laugh so much because it was like, oh, my God, because I knew both of you. And I knew you both did Catholic podcasts. I'm like, I didn't even put the names together, but that that's great. Oh my gosh. The first time I said it, you should have seen his face. He was like, 
mortified. We are not worthy. How can we say that? How can we, what? Because it's your names. Well, he goes, why would we do that? I said, because I'm Mary Goulet and you're Joseph Warren. (laughs) What the heck? So now it's okay. We're just going to say with Mary and Joseph and underneath each name, we'll put our proper surname. Right. So I, I think I think that's I, I think that's great. So I'm I, I also am Catholic and I'm probably not the best practicing Catholic, but I, I certainly grew up Catholic and we raised the kids in that faith. And so I always do. I tune into Catholic radio and I listen to this stuff because, you know, I think there is a good message and, and I think it can be cool. And so I'm I can't wait to see what you and Joseph are gonna create. Yeah, we're gonna have fun with that. So that's one thing. Anything else? Well I Committed to creating a course around the original book I wrote called Go With Your Gut, How to Make Decisions You Can Trust. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a full online course with that and going to start coaching people on that again. I still do speaking engagements on it. So that's a fun signature speech project for me. And you've been doing that for a long time. I mean, that, that book came out yeah. 20 years ago? 21. Yeah. That's, That's crazy. But I love that. I mean, I you know, my first book came out 14 years ago and I still it's still 50% of my business is speaking around, you know, that first book on how do you connect with people in a gadget crazy world. The book was called it was kind of before the the smartphone came out. The book was called Some Assembly Required: How to Make, Grow and Keep Your Business Relationships. But as we moved to smartphones, my speech transformed to connecting with people in a gadget crazy world, but it's still the same material I've been speaking about for 15 years. Exactly. And what happens if we know that some of this material is, it's inspired material, especially in my book, that as we evolve, the content evolves. Oh, absolutely. And that's what, that's what keeps it alive. So I love to ask the people who come on this show who it is in the world of entrepreneurship that they admire. Because I think entrepreneurs, I think we're more than just people starting businesses. I think we're observers. So who do you look out in the the entrepreneur sphere, if you will, and say, wow, she or he, they're doing cool stuff. Okay. So my friends have a daughter and a son, and the son is like 14 years old. And they've been sharing stories of how smart, sly, and quick this kid is. At 14, he's found these athletic gear wholesale websites and he researches the market and finds what is the hottest, most trending item. And his parents had to seed him the money, (laughs) but he would spend like maybe 500 bucks and buy X number of certain tennis shoes in different sizes and post them on some other site and make two times the profit. Wow. I wish I was doing stuff like that at 14. Right. 14, I was trying to figure out how to steal a beer from my 21-year-old brother. <laughs> you probably could have just asked him. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so it's people like that and also people that don't live, are not raised in America. So I met one of my vacation rental guys, came over from Arizona with his wife, and he made reference, I got to do some car thing. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I saw him on his way out and he had another car. And he explained to me that he's got it totally dialed in 
how he buys cars on auction, knows what exactly the amount it's going to be to repair them and what the aftermarket cost will be for someone else to buy it. And he pockets all this extra money and he just keeps going. So people that see opportunities like you are doing some stand up comedy. So you probably see the world funny like comedians do, right? Comics. So I'm, I'm trying to learn that because that's not necessarily the way I've always been. But that is that is a skill I'm trying to develop. And I'm, I'm finding it's a tough skill to develop. But at the same time, yes, I'm starting to see the world funny. Exactly. So I like when people see the world of opportunity. Like, oh, gosh, I'm going to sell matches on the street corner because people have to light their candles because it's winter. You know, so that's an interesting concept. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that is true that comedians see the world funny. Uh, music- musicians will see the world lyrical, musical uh, entrepreneurs see the worlds of opportunities. And how, how do you do that? And I imagine we could make a list a mile long. And then the question is, how do you learn to see the world through the lenses where you want to be, whether it's entrepreneurship or, or comedy or whatever? Well, and consider this concept that Richard O'Tay shared with me. He goes, Mary. Think back to the gold rush in California, the story of it, because I was not alive, no matter what you think. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) So he goes, it was not the people hunting for the gold that made the money. It was the entrepreneurs who supplied the pixes, the axes, the plates. Levi Strauss. Yes. That's right. Supplied the jeans. Yeah, that's exactly right. So think of life that way and not necessarily you're going to be the center of attention, but who cares? Boy, that's, that's like the nugget right there is how, how, do, how do you see that opportunity on the sides that other people look past? That's, that's the advice. That's the advice of the week. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so the other question I ask everyone who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because here's the deal. I think entrepreneurs, yeah, making money is awesome. But I think that we have to do something to serve society. And I think a lot of people want to leave their mark. So I love to ask the people who come on the show, what do you do to give back? So one, I volunteer at my parish. I run help with the senior luncheon and I lecture and count the money at the church. But probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, I had a guest through a PR agency come on my radio show. And she had, was one of the founders of Stand Up For Kids, a teenage, a homeless teen drop-in center. There's one in downtown San Diego, one in Oceanside, which Switchfoot helps keep funded. And they're around the country. She cried for her children that she's been helping for 25 years on after work and raising her own kids. So then I got the moms at the school and some kids taking socks. They need socks. They need to put them around their neck in the winter, wear them on their hands and put them on their feet. Backpacks. So we collect all the backpacks at the end of the school year and take them down to the center so the kids can put their clothes from their closet, their school bag their toiletries, their comp- whatever they need is in that backpack and they get stolen. Mm-hmm. So I like to work at Stand Up For Kids because I sell real estate and how can I with good conscience not help homeless kids mm-hmm. wow. with something? That's an awesome cause. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that around the homeless and no, no one should be homeless. No, I think that I think that's important. And I know I, I mean, I can remember, you know, when I lived in San Diego in the 80s because of the great weather, San Diego's always had a homeless pro- a problem because people come there because of, of the weather. So I think it's a never ending problem where you live. Yeah. And I like this program because it's specific to children, you know, as you don't even I mean, there are infants there Hmm. up to 18 years old, Hmm. but they help them with getting through school, getting a job, help them with legal issues, because those children are not there because they necessarily chose to be. They're not on drugs. They're not drinking. It's because they're safer on the street than they are in their own family's home. Hmm. Boy, that's scary. Totally. So, yeah, that's a it's inspiring to see what they do with their lives and also humbling for me as well. Sure. Well, cheers to you for for working with that cause. So, Mary, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I have to know more about Mary Goulet, how do they find you? Uh, You could just go to my website, Mary Goulet, M-A-R-Y-G-O-U-L-E-T dot net. And that'll have everything on that website about me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. Any last words for the audience? Keep listening to Tom Singer. <laughs> well, He's a you. popular one. Thank you. I like those words. So, And thank you to the audience. I say it every single week. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we have a show? So thank you for tuning in. If you're new to cool things entrepreneurs do, do me a favor. Tell a friend about the podcast. Also, jump over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and leave a review. It always makes my day better when I find a new review has appeared. And then... Uh, We're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Mary Goulet. And of course, you're you're thinking that's impossible. How will you find anybody that cool? But we always do it. But in the meantime, I'm going to challenge you to two things. Number one, go try something new. And number two, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>